Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's podcast, where I will be talking to Travis May, who is a Director of Technology and Innovation for a major international company. I'm really excited about this talk as Travis will share his experience of how he is driving innovation forward with the use of virtual reality. We have learned in previous podcasts good examples of VR, but mainly in gaming. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about how we can add value to the workplace. Today, we will learn more about Travis, talk about the problem he faced, and how he went about resolving this. We also cover the results and the cost versus benefit in VR. But most importantly, we will learn from his experience and the incredible value it added to his organization, such as employee engagement and training. So welcome to the show, Travis. An honor to be here. Uh, very excited about it. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's my pleasure. So tell us, first of all, could you just tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. So I uh, originally grew up uh, east of Dallas, Texas, in a small town called Quinlan. I have three other siblings that uh, me as a new parent of two have no idea how my parents uh, raised four kids in the household. Uh, so much respect for them. Probably good that uh, where we grew up, we had uh, about 100 acres of woods around us, lake in our backyard, barefoot during the summers running around. That generally kept us out of trouble. But uh, shortly after graduating there, kind of launched into about an 18-year career of building, fixing programs, advancing programs, large focus on innovation, technology, R&D that really spanned multiple industries uh, between intelligence programs for the government all the way to learning development for a large international technology company. Wow. it's impressive. Listen, I know, Anne, I know you're passionate about innovation and we could talk for hours, but for today, I just want to focus mainly around the whole area of this area VR and the problem that you're looking to solve. So would you, could you describe for us what was the problem you were trying to solve? So I guess uh, where it started, the time frame that we're looking at for the most recent evolution and, and building of, of virtual reality exploration and building of it was uh, really kind of the summer of 2017. And the role that I was uh, fulfilling at that time is I was responsible for a couple of different security programs one that oversaw all security for United States and Canada, as well as uh, all event security for major international corporations. So kind of to explain that a little bit is anytime that you see any of these large events, whether it's Roland Garros or Rugby World Cup or Grammys, and you see companies' logos posted around there, they're typically sponsors of that event, and they've invited a lot of executives, customers, clients, and employees to those events. So the company that I was working with at the time, yeah, we had events basically all over the globe. At any given time, there were multiple events or meetings, or uh, and so staff members all over the globe, as well as uh, offices uh, in over 100 companies. So throughout 2016 and 2017, there were a number of events that had happened security-related. So whether it's knife attacks, vehicle driving incidents into crowded people, bombing, shootings that had happened in proximity either to our offices or to those events. 
And so we started to get an influx of requests from multiple people in multiple regions asking if we could provide any type of training to help them understand what to do in those events and basically prepare for those events, which was a red flag for us because we had had seven years prior to 2016, we had about seven years of a whole body of content covering this uh, survival mindset type training and about every modality available. So instructor-led training events, e-learning, PowerPoints, videos, and we thought that we were being pretty innovative with the way that we were uh, providing multiple ways for them to consume that. However, if you went out and asked most of the staff there at the company, they had no idea it existed. And so that was red flag number one, is we were failing to even engage them with it. And then the second red flag was when you, we did find those few people that, oh yeah, I remember going to that, yeah. or seeing that, that, that training, great, talk, talk to me a little bit about what you learned, what was most impactful. They really couldn't articulate anything. Right. They couldn't recall. So that was red flag number two. Even though we were thought we were doing a really good job offering all, all these ways of communicating this training, we were failing to engage them to begin with for them to even consume it. And then two is when they did consume it, they weren't taking anything meaningful. So we were essentially just checking a box saying that we provided it and we needed to find a better way. Hmm. So true. And I think that's a problem globally across all organizations, not just your organization. Absolutely. So, I mean, okay, so you, clearly you had to find a problem. So how did you then go about, you know, how do we address this problem? So it kind of launched a pretty massive R&D because these events were still ongoing. Right. And for the gravity of that situation is we really needed to find something quick and that was impactful and wasn't just a little micro improvement on existing methods that weren't working. So launched kind of a massive R&D effort in trying to find an innovative way to address this. And then that kind of took us into emerging technologies, really looking at, all right, everything that we have now, we could potentially improve upon those to a degree. But is there anything for where we should be, anything that revolutionizes the way that we're addressing this issue? And ended up coming across a, a company based out of Houston, Texas, that was in the VR space and the VR training space, set up a, a pilot with them. They actually had training content in these specific areas. So took over a little conference room in December of 2017, turned it into a little VR lab. And then we were really testing two things. We were testing the technology, the hardware itself, and then the training content in that. What was the population's perceptions of the technology? Uh, were they freaked out by it? Did they like it? Was it a positive user experience? Just the virtual reality technology in the sense that if whether we chose to do additional learning and training components or other things in the, the technology, would it be a good platform for us to use? So that was kind of half of it. The other half was specifically looking at some of these training offerings and kind of doing an A-B test with traditional training methods and then training methods with virtual reality and immersive technology and see what the outcome was. So we initially set it up for about 75 people, try to get a cross section of everybody that was in the company in that building at the time. And that quickly swelled to a little over 100. And we only had about two and a half weeks to do it because it was December right before Christmas and before people start taking off for the holidays. So that ended up going extremely well, overwhelmingly positive responses from the entire engagement, both technology, hardware, and the training content. Enough so that we got invited to do a demo for the CEO of the company, as well as the chief human resources officer. So went on Christmas break, turned right back around in, December, or in January of 2018, 
took all the equipment up to our, our headquarters office and uh, set up a demo for the CEO and chief human resources officer and a couple other staff members. So we not only showcased the, the training content that we did the demo or the pilot there in December, but we also did multiplayer as well. So we had the vendors team down in Houston and our team and our, our demo set up in New York. And we all met in the same virtual space, could see each other, talk to each other. And that was the first time that they'd ever seen anything with multiplayer. And so out of that, I uh, got a lot of great comments, feedback, and interest from the CEO and the executives that it ended up leading to two months later in the spring of 2018, we're invited to showcase virtual reality and training and the possibilities of virtual reality to the global board of directors. So we took over the executive dining room at the headquarters, uh, set up five virtual reality stations, and proceeded to put the entire global board of directors, most of the executive staff, and a little over 100 staff members through various virtual reality engagements, experiences, and a host of training content. So wildly successful after that and uh, led to multiple other uh, improvements and really kind of was the foundation or the launch for the virtual reality solutions. Right. That, that's fantastic. But, I mean, what was so good about it? I mean, when you got that feedback, I mean, what, what results were demonstrated that, yes, this is definitely the path to go forward with? So there, there's multiple components, just the technology as a whole, but then uh, the immersive properties. There's several layers into this. So program up to date, we put plus or minus 2,000 people throughout, throughout the globe through various virtual reality training simulations or experiences. We've had less than 1% that didn't like it or didn't have a positive experience. And then the overwhelming majority of that 99% of people that went through it, uh, it was overwhelmingly positive response to the technology. And so if you just look at it from a training perspective, and this, this relates to other experiences within the virtual reality platform, so mm-hmm. significant improvement in engagement, attention, and knowledge retention. So engagement alone, when we did that pilot in 2017, what swelled it above the 100 people that participated or above the 75, which was originally planned for and into the over 100, was people would walk by and see the virtual reality setup or see somebody going through it. And the just natural curiosity, what is that? Uh, can I sign up? Which is kind of strange for us in that you don't typically have people asking and waiting in line and trying to sign up for your yeah. training program. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of a, a aha moment in that uh, the, there's a bit of a novelty to it. But yeah. Essentially, engagement is a huge challenge. Most things, or a lot of things within large corporations, but especially when you're talking about training, in that most people are overworked, understaffed, and the things that they engage in are the lights on BAU engagement. So you're competing with that, even though if they wanted to engage in training, just to get them to engage and pull their time away from just doing their day to day job, which they're already behind on, is a challenge. So that was one of the first kind of uh, realizations was that people were attracted to the technology at, at just a basic surface level. So the novelty of it, and then just the evangelist afterwards. So people going through the experience, you can talk to people about the immersive technologies, virtual reality, or augmented reality. They can conceptually understand it and understand kind of what the premise is, but it truly is some of the, one of those technologies that you really don't know until you get into the experience. So it does require a level of engagement for people to truly come away from what's possible with it. And that's absolutely what we had on the other end is those who had went through the simulations, 
became natural evangelists for it. Like, oh my God, that was amazing. Attention oh. is one of the other things is okay. typical training solutions. So if it's not instructor led, which is tough to scale. So we look at modalities at multiple corporations, especially international ones, look at for ways to scale whatever content that they're delivering to mass amount of people, especially on a global level. So typically that results in a 2D format. I'm putting it in a video or e-learning or something that you on your desktop or laptop computer or mobile device are, are looking at, clicking through or watching. Challenges with that is people hope, for all the reasons we talk about engagement, people hope that it's a video so they can drag it off on their screen over here and still get credit while they check their email or address the flood of messages coming in asking about a, a project. And so one, it's again, checking it, checking the box. So there's constant competition for attention when you're in training programs of simulation. For virtual reality, when you put a headset on, you're basically sucked into that, that experience in that there's no cell phones, there's no emails. So for our experiences, there's a, a moment for most of the people that went through the virtual reality experiences, they'd never done virtual reality before, not even 3D off where it's just a 360 photo or video. So there is a bit of awestruck when they put that headset like, oh my God, and they're exploring the environment and walking around and picking up stuff. And so once they get kind of over the awestruck thing, they're completely engaged. And so their attention is fixated on whatever that experience is. So that was another critical component. And that leads into the retention piece. In order for them to, to pull away something meaningful and retain it and use it, you kind of have to have their attention. So for kind of the magic of the retention is the immersive components in the, the property. We've known since the beginning of time that if I want you to learn something, I pluck you out, go put you in the environment, you're surrounded by it. Everything you touch, feel, taste is engaging all your senses and your brain fully. You're going to learn it the best. It's just that's not scalable. It's not cost effective. It's potentially dangerous when you're talking about training programs on an international level. Mm-hmm. So immersive learning has always been something that we've sought but challenges, the technologies that have been available up to today have really been challenged on, on scalability to do that. So some of the magic of retention is the immersive properties of virtual reality. And so in the digital platform, we're constantly looking for increasing engagement or effectiveness or retention through the, the platforms that we currently have that we're using in the digital landscape and scaling it out, whether it's a video and trying to get more charismatic people on there or e-learning with more flashy things. or So we're constantly looking for what's called limbic resonance. We want to engage their brain more fully. Challenges with that is traditionally those methods engage one portion of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which that's where the finer thinking and the more advanced thinking occurs. However, it's got challenges. It's leaky, memory issues, capacity issues, attention issues, and it's not the best part of the brain to really affect behavioral change. So you're constantly looking for ways that you can create that broader limbic resonance, engage the brain more wholly, and really tap into the behavioral, experiential, and emotional centers of the brain where really the, the stickiness occurs when you're pushing out content to people. Ultimately, that's where we started to see significant improvements in, both, in all three of engagement, attention, and retention, which putting 2,000 people through across multiple departments in multiple countries through virtual reality training or experiences naturally led to multiple internal partnerships to where we've got active conversations with either helping them explore or actual building out 
virtual reality projects for sales, product development, learning development, meetings, collaboration, talent uh, evangelism. So it naturally kind of expanded just through exposing it to different departments to a whole other, other host of possibilities. Incredible, uh, Travis, really is. Um, I want to get down to that in a moment, but just going back to the benefits, how would, I mean, surely it's a massive investment. Is there ROI on this? I mean, cost for aggressive benefit, I mean, for yeah, viewers. So it's going to be different for each organization. And, you know, where we started, we're way uh, in a much different position than what we had focused on in the beginning, just okay. through learning about the technology, the advancements, what's applicable. But just with most technologies right now, there's exponential growth and improvements happening kind of across the board, but it's no different for the XR technologies, virtual reality and augmented reality in that about, a, for example, about every four months or so, you've got a smaller, better, faster, more capable headset, right. Right? cheaper, more. Uh, so with the evolution of XR and talk about virtual reality is dial the clocks back three, four years ago, majority of the focus was on gaming. And so as the hardware and the software increased in capabilities, a couple of things happened. One, it opened up new possibilities to create new things and much more effective things, which attracted more people to build things in there to broaden out beyond gaming. And then the other side is those who were already involved in the industry maybe had ideas about, wow, we could expand this into other realms beyond gaming. But in reality, the hardware, the software, the capabilities technologically, they're just not there yet. So those teams, as the, the hardware, the software, and the technology evolved and what's possible, they were then able to bring to life new solutions to the marketplace that they'd just been kind of waiting on. The hardware and software just wasn't ready for yet. So you kind of got that happening over the past three years or so which has opened up a whole swath of possibilities for engagement experiences, trainings, uh, sales, uh, product demonstrations, multiplayer that just weren't possible three years ago. And an important distinction to make too is there's the different degrees of freedom or the two ends of the spectrum for virtuality, three degrees of freedom, six degrees of freedom. So three degrees of freedom in that it's typically 360 video or photos that you can stand in one place and kind of look around, but you you can't really step or move or interact with the environment uh, beyond that. Uh, I mean, you can have a controller and point and select components in a fixed position. So there is a level of immersive properties that that's absolutely applicable for for different engagements. The other end of the spectrum is full six degrees of freedom, where you have all the same properties of three degrees of freedom, but you can actually walk and move around in the environment and engage with it. You have agency and presence. So three degrees of freedom creates presence where your mind starts to suspend reality and believe that you're actually there, but you really don't have agency to control that. You're a very limited agency. Six degrees of freedom is you have agency to control that narrative. So if three degrees of freedom, you're in somebody else's story and you can progress it on a limited basis, six degrees of freedom, that's your story and you can kind of progress it. That's an oversimplification, but essentially it's much more immersive, much more impactful, and we started our program with six degrees of freedom back in 2017. Our premise was, you know what, if that's the most impactful, most engaging, why do anything else? It just comes with a trade-off. There's a dichotomy to it in that, yeah, it's more impressive. It's much more capable. There's a lot more that you can do with it to, to really engage populations. But it was severely restricted in scalability. You, what, at 2017, in order to have that required 
a desktop or lap, a pretty powerful desktop or laptop computer, sensors to set up, hardware, headset uh, that either it was mostly wired at that time, and space. And then somebody who knew how to troubleshoot all of that and run it and engage in effective simulation. So that was a significant, I guess, limitation in choosing to go the sixth off route. Since then, there's been significant improvements in the industry. Standalone Six Degrees of Freedom headsets really hit the market last year, 2018, 2018, 2019. And that was a game changer for us. Is Then it allowed for scalability of that. But we've since then also pivoted to not everything is meant for sixth off. There's really good applications for three off. And that was an important distinction of helping people understand where we started our, our program and then kind of the learning points and the evolution of just the industry and what we've been doing with it. But as things evolve, as far as options in the beginning too, we were developing, if we chose to do sixth off, not only the hardware challenges, but there wasn't a ton of content out there applicable for corporations to do training or engagement. It was still kind of mostly focused on gaming. And if you're looking at a magni that's maybe not in the heavy industry space, there was very limited options. So if you wanted something, you had to kind of, kind of custom create it, which was expensive. It very rapidly progressed to, there's a lot of off-the-shelf SaaS-type solutions out there. And because chicken or the egg, you, you choose, because the industries are now interested in seeing what's possible and new opportunities that have come available in the space, it's attracted a lot of attention to build new solutions. And so companies who want to engage in, in virtual reality whether it's training or experiences, there's a lot more affordable options and a lot more solutions that we didn't have when we started it. So we're constantly seeing an improvement in the ROI, not only in the engagement and the, the results produced on the back end of it, as far as people having a better understanding of the content that you just delivered to them, but then also, and that ties into it really being honest about the effectiveness of existing programs. And you can't fault a lot of organizations in that they've tried to improve, including the organizations I've been with, with what they had in that Mm. to scale, if scalability, especially on a global level is important, there's only so many options that you had. It's just we're forcing, forcing solutions and content and engagements or experiences into less than optimal platforms because that's what we had. Having the immersive components of virtual reality, now that they become available and they're, they're real and people can engage in them, not everything's meant for virtual reality, but for the things that are, there's no substitute for it. So there's going to be an increasing mix of, of engagements of traditional platforms, virtual reality at 3 off and 6 off and augmented reality too. So I'd say it's a moving target and it's unique to each organization depending on their needs. If you go to the medical industry, you've seen incredible success with VR, and there's a lot of studies coming out about their success. You go to the heavy industry area where they're hands-on with stuff, incredible ROI. I'd say that the market is just starting to open up over the past year and a half for maybe soft skills or engagements that are very meaningful, whether a multiplayer is showing it a huge, a huge possibilities as far as the, the multitude of things that you can do with multiplayer, that will be game changer. So it just depends on the industry. And I'd say hardware, software, and just overall solutions are improving exponentially year over year. Very interesting. And going back to your point in the headset, I see that 
Oculus have they released a new request too. I see it's like a hundred dollars cheaper than the one that they had previous year. So it goes back to your point about these these solutions are getting much cheaper now. And I'd say, so that's a, a very interesting and great point is anybody mm-hmm. looking to start a program. So we don't have this all figured out. And like I said, it's, it's constantly moving. Okay. So you have to, if organizations are looking to invest in and create programs, they have to go in with a mindset of agility in that there's a lot of things moving in the industry and, and I'll broaden it with all technology. There's a multitude of solutions coming on board, whether it's AI, robotics, drones, VR, AR, and it's a constant moving target. So you have to really be plugged into what's happening in there and set those expectations with all the stakeholders in that I wouldn't invest heavily in hardware solutions at this point. I would look for exit strategies on those or options. And fortunately, because there's money to be made there, there are companies providing solutions in that space that allow for organizations to have that nimbleness and agility Another one is be very smart with what you're building in this space in that go for it. I mean, R&D is one thing. You want to test what's possible and kind of see what the, the left and right lateral limits are and the boundaries, but create meaningful experiences and avoid gimmicks at all costs in that a gimmick might have the initial flare of attention, but it has diminishing returns. So it just takes really thoughtful creation of whatever you're going to do in the virtual reality space is going to be imperative for, for companies. But agility is going to be be something, no matter what technology you're engaged with over the next 10 years, VR is going to be one of those. In, like I said, about every four months, you've got a smaller, better, faster, mm. more capable platform for you to engage in. And then more software solutions and more companies providing experiences or training or whatever it might be. And you just really have to keep your finger on the pulse and, and pay attention to it. Yeah, great advice. And yeah, it's trying to keep up with it as a challenge, I think. Tell me um, about the future. I mean, what does the future hold now for you guys? I mean, it's uh, we have been talking, I've thrown an AR in there a little, a little bit. I mean, okay. they're brother-sister technologies in that virtual reality has got very specific and very powerful use cases. Augmented reality does too. They're complementary in that easy ways that I've explained is virtual reality is when you need to take somewhere, uh, somebody somewhere or some place in some different time, augmented realities when you want to enhance the world around you. And they've got some overlapping use cases, but they've got their niches that are really, really powerful for what they're, uh, they can deliver on currently. But they're constantly evolving, both of them. We've deliberately held off on AR just based on our industry. We need certain things to improve before it kind of gets into that meaningfulness era or area uh, and not be a gimmick. But constantly looking at those, I heard an executive say, I think it was last year, uh, said that VR will replace our computers, uh, augmented reality will replace our phones. And he's, he's probably not far off from that. If we think we're living through devices now, we've seen nothing yet, especially when you start talking about 5G capabilities, really powering some of this uh, and being able to give us access to content anywhere, anytime, and powerful content. So there's multiple things advancing VR and AR combined as XR technologies, kind of the catch-all phrase for it, is absolutely a major focus for us. But with with VR, incredible possibilities across a multitude of different realms, multiplayer is going to be a big one for us in that that solves a lot of different, I guess, needs, provides a lot of solutions in basically one platform. 
there's incredible capabilities already, but it, it's improving considerably, especially over COVID and people have have, um, have invested heavily because they needed ways to engage people to people, people to content, people to experiences more effectively. Virtual reality potentially does that, except the platforms were not as evolved as what they will be coming out in 2021 based on interest and investment. But multiplayer, where you can bring essentially multiple people from anywhere in the world, put a headset on, and they could be standing in the same virtual environment and have six degrees of freedom where you can walk, see each other, walk around, talk to each other, engage, write on whiteboards, put PowerPoints and video presentations in this massive auditorium or TED Talk room, do posted notes, so PI planning sessions, scrum sessions, have 3D assets that you drop in and collaborate around, take them to different experiences. You go stand on Mars where you can walk around and do a team building exercise. So multiple potential use cases in there, whether it's instructor-led training, conferences and meetings, collaboration in general, storytelling, narrative storytelling like you've never seen before, talent acquisition where you can bring potential recruits or or talent into a replication, a digital twin of your office or an area that maybe you have market applicability for your company and they can meet experts. So they can be in a different part of the world, but be standing in your office or something that's relevant to your company with other experts around the world and hold an interview process or talk or engage or show them products that you either have or are in development that don't even exist yet. So operations was one of the other ones that I was asked to look at in that re-envisioning the future of operations in virtual reality or augmented reality. And that's been something that we're, we're actively looking at pursuing, but essentially it affords some, some incredible possibilities that, that we've never had before. So if you think about an operations center, whatever that might be, security operations, fusion centers, operations, command centers, knocks. You've essentially got the large room with monitors all over the wall with a lot of content and each desk, multiple desks or pods and three or four monitors in front of them. And screen real estate is a premium because they've got multiple programs. So there's a couple components. So they need access to a lot of data and process that in a very timely manner. And then there's in operation centers like that, there's a shared consciousness that occurs in them in that those people sitting in that room kind of overhear conversations, can talk to each other, bring in the resources peek their head up over the monitors and talk, uh, command center manager or whatever, talking to the group as a whole. But there's this shared consciousness, kind of like a hive that helps that operation, whatever they're focused on, operate more effectively because they're all ingrained into whatever's going on. So virtual reality or augmented reality, because I've seen some solutions in there already, in that you basically can put, and I'll back up because there's another point in here, Operations centers are typically fixed in a location somewhere geographically in the world or multiple locations because they're trying to attract talent to that. So there's a talent limitation in that you might have the most amazing person for your operations center that's located in a different country or five states away, or, and they're not willing to move to rule wherever in order to be a part of your operation. So you lose out on talent that way too. So flip it virtual reality or augmented reality, basically you put on a headset and you can have endless amount of screen real estate. And it can be IMAX, uh, large movie theater style, or 15 screens surrounding you at 17 inches apart, uh, feed in static or dynamic data. And because multiplayer is a reality as well, you can have people geographically dispersed all over the world in that same virtual command center. So not only screen real estate, 
solved, but now you can bring in talent that you've never been able to do or engage in that shared consciousness before, even though they're dispersed, which is even more relevant. Take a little aside here with the multiplayer is we've been looking multiplayer really since 2017, but really took a concerted effort at looking at it early last year because it, it solves many problems beyond just COVID. COVID uh, helped highlight it to people, but the company I'm working for is globally dispersed and more and more of your staff are not co-located in that you might have a team and you're a people manager, but they might be spread out across three continents. And so you're constantly having to engage them and then projects or teams that you're trying to collaborate on, same thing across the world. And so trying to solve for how do you connect people to people, people to content, people to experiences more effectively than just web calls or calls in general, which fit a very unique need, but it's not right for everything. So the operation center, the same thing. You need that shared consciousness. You need to be able to bring those people together. Virtual potentially affords that opportunity, VR and AR. Uh, and you can create pools of talent and that, I guess, operational efficiency and effectiveness to an operation center like we've never been able to do before. And COVID, where we got dispersed and everybody had to work from home, I had teams that I had engaged with last year that looked at that and some of the technology we brought in. It's like, oh, that's really, really cool. Kind of timeline horizon for that is out there. Um, <laughs> novelty, they were emailing me early in the spring going, oh my God, if we would have had that available now, I'm right now scrambling to try and get monitors sent out to people's homes to recreate some semblance of an operation center and still not being able to deliver on the, the proficiency or effectiveness right. of being in the operation center. So the multiplayer piece will solve that. I'll, I'll say that will be a thing. There are a lot of things that are still in development that have to occur. And one other component to that is data visualization. So really keen on seeing it, but 3D data visualization, especially when it applies to geographically dispersed data or you have geospatial data, when you can see it in a 3D format or be able to populate data in things that can tell different stories, such as 3D very interested in seeing the evolution of that. Right now, I'm kind of on the fence. I don't know if it's just a gimmick of, you know, that's really cool, but I don't know if it actually tells a different story that helps me take different action on the other end. I'm very anxious to see how that evolves. So multiplayer will be a piece. XR will evolve. We talked a little bit on a phone call about like education and the evolution of that. So for the industries we're in, we'll see shopping evolve. We'll see engagements. Education, I think, one of the industries that will take advantage of VR, XR in general, but VR. I try and think of me being a new dad through the lens of my, my boys in that, hmm. what will that world look like in five, 10 years, 10 years, 15, 30 years? What will be the world? What will be the challenges? What will be the solutions? What will be they face? What will they be faced with? I believe when they're probably in elementary school, VR and AR will definitely be integrated just about every level. And you think about the possibilities, especially interconnectedness and, and the immersive components and what's being developed in the multiplayer, they'll learn about, they'll go to school in an XR technology. They'll have access to the best teachers anywhere in the world because you'll have experts. You'll be able to tap into experts in any geographic location. He'll They'll go to school with other kids from around the, the world. So the cultural awareness and the exposure will be incredible. They'll learn about the Roman Colosseum by the teacher pushing a button. They'll pop up in the floor 
of the uh, awesome. the Colosseum yeah. shortly yeah. after it was built. You look at haptic technologies; they'll reach down and grab the sand and feel it running through their fingers. Uh, they'll they'll learn about history by being there at the time that it occurred and in an immersive way. So XR is poised to have some pretty incredible evolutions and change the way we work and live. And that's going to be true for organizations and industries as a whole. Amazing yeah, and incredible. But I mean, just going back to that one point I wanted to ask you just before you finish up, is would you wear a headset all day? You know, it's quite that environment. Do you have to wear a headset all day or and would you wear one? In the current environment, probably not. So right now, any evolution in the technologies and innovative solutions, uh, scalability is still a chat. So you're probably not going to deploy 30,000 headsets all around the globe, although you could for fixed off. I I wouldn't recommend it. So bridge technologies are always an important part of your innovation strategy is how do we get from point A to point B? And typically, it's not a rip the bandaid, here you go, you're killing everything that you've done in the past, and here's your new technology, you want a recipe for failure that's absolutely going to... So you always have to have bridge technologies in there to help warm people up to expose them to and for scalability. So a lot of the XR solutions have to adopt, and they are, whether it's desktop, mobile devices, iOS, Android, and cross platforms for engagement. So although the VR experiences might be way more immersive, way more impactful, you have to be able to touch the broader populations with other ways to consume or engage with that, which are going to traditional methods of mobile devices and desktops. So the VR headsets, what I'll say is they're geared for our time right now in that they're still getting smaller and better and more capable. Every four to six months, you're seeing the, the, the form factor change and what's possible with it change. You will continue to see that evolution. Moore's Law and then the exponential technology is so, You've got a time where exponential technologies, where they're doubling in power, rapidly advancing, are converging with exponential technologies. And we're going to see that over the the next five and 10 years. So we'll have 100 years of technological innovation that will occur in the next 10 years. So you'll start seeing, and we're already seeing these technologies, exponential technologies converge with exponential technologies which creates a whole new reality in that technological solution that we really couldn't even anticipate. We're seeing that happen with XR too. So would you wear a headset in its current form right now all day? Probably not. We're already seeing things on the horizon of people reducing that form factor, offloading the computing power and power to power those devices, which typically is what causes them to be so bulky and heavy and uncomfortable. Mm. There's a few technologies that are being teased right now to be released in the next year or two that are figuring out unique ways to offload that and make the device sleek and more comfortable. And then when you start talking about 5G technology too, that offloads a lot of power that's causing these devices to be as bulky and maybe, I don't want to say uncomfortable because they're not bad. I spent multiple hours in them and depending on on which device you're, some are way more comfortable than others. So, but those who typically experience that kind of discomfort or multiple hours that's changing as we are talking as well as we'll continue to evolve pretty rapidly one other note on that is that i'd say is i mean this kind of ties into the innovation as a whole is people looking to adopt this or explore it we're going to see innovation cycles rapidly change as well people the traditional methods of exploring a lot of this or any innovation in general typically are protracted 
they want to test, not that testing in R&D isn't important. It is extremely important. You're just going to have to find the ways to accelerate that, whether internally or open innovation models by partnering with startups and things that can be a little bit more nimble. But the traditional methods of innovating will absolutely have to change because the technologies are going to be changing so rapidly over the next five to 10 years, including XR technologies, that if you're not rapidly evolving your way to assess and integrate those, now you will be behind. You will be disrupted. Timelines for disruption are being compressed. So not only do your competitors and adversaries have access to these technologies too, they will be constantly looking to adopt innovation faster than you. And if you're sticking to traditional methods of processing innovation loops and innovation cycles, a couple of things will happen is you'll you'll end up being behind, which will cause you to react. And most innovation right now is reactive. And I say most. Okay, that's pretty hard. I'll say a lot of innovation in organizations are, are reactive. They're trying to solve problems and typically they solve problems through micro-innovation or sustainable innovation, which isn't bad, but it's just not preparing them for the future. And they're going to be constantly trying to put out fires because they're constantly reacting. And it's a challenge that you consistently see with that type of mentality in that if you're constantly reacting, you always need more operational staff because you're constantly reacting and constantly trying to put out fires, which the operational staff, you're never going to get enough funding to hire all the people that you need for operations that are reactive in nature. So if companies don't start looking at innovation, proactive innovation, looking and adopting and integrating and testing innovation that's on the fringe right now and looking to solve those problems before they actually need them, that timeline and tolerance is going to be compressed. And the traditional methods of protracted cycles on that, they will be disrupted or they will spend an exorbitant amount of money trying to put out a fire really quickly and uh, they'll adopt wrong solutions or spend way more money than what they could have or should have trying to find solutions in a reactive posture. And if they don't change their posture, they will be disrupted. So XR is going to be absolutely, if anybody's thinking about adopting it, thinking about how it can apply to their organization or industry, they have to start dedicating teams to look at, test, and integrate it now. Incredible, Jonathan. Thank you so much for your insights that I really enjoyed the chat. If anybody would like to reach out to you, I mean, what's the best way to contact you? If anybody wants to get uh, get a hold of me, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm there, Travis May, and I'm happy to answer any questions or partner with anybody that would like to explore any of this. Fantastic, Travis. Listen, thank you so much for your input and your time today, and I hopefully you'll come on the show again in the future, and we can have another chat about what's next. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, we'd love to.